Welcome to session three of Keys to Health, Wholeness, and Fruitfulness. We are on an adventure to work out how to bring truth from the Bible and wisdom from the medical world together so that we can be healthy, whole disciples of Jesus who do the things God has prepared for us to do. In this session, we are thinking about thinking. Last time we saw that our spirit is now alive and connected to God. Our mind is the next layer. It's where our spirit and body meet. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that the key to ongoing transformation as disciples of Jesus is found here. The mind is not the same thing as the brain. When we die, our brain returns to dust with the rest of our body, but we will still have our mind. The mind and the brain work together like different parts of a computer. Computer hardware is like the brain. On its own, it can't do much. It needs software to make it useful. And our mind is that software. Even the best of software won't work on hardware that is malfunctioning, which is why Alzheimer's disease is so tragic. But in the Bible, the overwhelming emphasis is not on the hardware. It's on the software, on the mind. It's about choosing truth, taking every thought captive. 75% of illness is a direct result of what we think. But guess what? The Bible got there first. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So let's take the example of stress to try to unpack how this actually works. When we experience a stressful event, we notice a physical response in our body. Our heart beats faster. Our mouth goes dry. We breathe faster. There is a butterfly feeling in our stomach. This is what we call the fight or flight response. When our sympathetic nervous system is activated and our body is swirled with cortisol and adrenaline, ready to fight or run. This mechanism can literally save our lives. But if it runs on overdrive, it can be harmful. Because an overstimulation of adrenaline and cortisol weakens the immune system. And this is linked to asthma, eczema, headaches, heart irregularities, irritable bowel syndrome, and even certain cancers. But you know what? It's not the stressful event in itself that is the problem. Here's what happens. The event is picked up by your senses and then passed through your mind. That's your software. Your mind then interprets the data in a personal way based on previous experiences, such as memories, traumas that you've experienced. It then feeds it back to the brain, which triggers a particular reaction. In other words, you are not so much affected by your environment and circumstances, but by how you perceive your environment and circumstances. So two people can respond to the same stressful situation in completely different ways, depending on how their mind has been programmed. So for one person, 
the loss of a, of a job might be seen as exciting opportunity for a new challenge. And so they may say, oh, bring it on. Someone else might be crushed by the same experience. Another person may suffer a series of nasty personal attacks and come to believe that they are useless. Someone else may suffer the same thing but choose to believe that the attacker is just a horrible person, is just a bully. It's not the traumatic event itself that is the problem. It's the lie it causes you to believe. So the trigger for the fight or flight reaction doesn't have to be an actual event happening right now. It can actually be triggered by just thinking about someone who you are angry with or a traumatic memory from the past. So, for example, if you were an abused child and you were abused by a man with a loud voice, when you hear a man raising his voice on television, you may start to feel panicky. But it's not the man on television causing the stress. It's the triggered memory or experience passed through your mind, which, understandably but wrongly, has picked up the faulty belief that all men with loud voices are a danger. The story of David and Goliath in the Bible provides a great illustration. There was a standoff between the Israelites and the Philistine armies. The Philistines proposed a one-on-one battle. Winner takes it all. But they had a secret weapon, Goliath. From a human perspective, there is no way anyone can hope to take on Goliath and win. Just no way. The Israelite army is completely stressed out, as we can all imagine, with cortisol and adrenaline practically coming out of their ears. But you know what? A young man called David comes along, calmly pulls out his catapult and kills Goliath. Both David and the Israelite army were confronted by the same stressful situation, but they looked at it completely differently. And here's how. The soldiers saw the giant in relationship to themselves, while David saw the giant in relationship with God. Who saw the situation as it really was? Yes, it was David. David did. So it's critical that our software is based on what is actually true, rather than what our past experiences tell us. Twelve years ago, I began to have fainting fits and no matter how often I went to the doctors, no one could find anything wrong with me. They tested me for um, heart problems. They did blood tests. They did brain scans. But there was no answer. I could do nothing mentally, physically, emotionally. I was drained and I had nothing left. And all I could do is sit at home. But as I sat at home, I started dipping in and out of freedom in Christ. The healing took place as a, as a journey. And it began with me beginning to understand how much God loved me. Most of my life, I, I learned to be um, someone who performed, not feeling that I could be loved without having to do something. I could always pick out the wrong things in Scripture and apply them to myself. But... I never seemed to be able to take the promises of God and apply them to my life. And one day I was just sitting 
and the love of God just came into the room. And for three days, I just cried and cried and cried. It totally turned me around, realizing God absolutely accepted me the way I was and that I don't need to meet any standards whatsoever anymore. I can rest in God. I can trust in God. I can trust in his promises. And so the revelation was just, it's just been life-changing. I grew stronger physically um, and mentally as I began to believe what I was actually reading. In the renewing of my mind, the word has healed me emotionally and healed me physically. For the past two years, I've been completely healthy. I've had no more fainting fits, no times of exhaustion and no times in bed. And I have a joy that I never had. I'm totally and absolutely healthy and free. As a follower of Jesus, your identity is based not on your past experiences, but on what God says about you. You'll find a list of biblical truths called Who I Am in Christ at the end of the notes in, for section three in your participant's guide. We've simply taken out some of the great truths about our identity from the Bible and put them in the I form. Please read them aloud with me. I am accepted. I refuse to believe the lie that I am rejected, unloved, or shameful. In Christ, I am accepted. God says, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord, and I am one spirit with him. I have been bought with a prize. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint, a holy one. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I am secure. I refuse to believe the lie that I am guilty unprotected, alone, or abandoned. In Christ, I am secure. God says, I am free from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established anointed and sealed by God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am significant. I refuse to believe the lie that I am worthless, inadequate, 
helpless or hopeless. In Christ, I am significant. God says, I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine, Jesus, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. I am a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. I am a temple of God. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am a fellow worker with God. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship, created for good works. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So if you are a follower of Jesus, all of these things are true of you right now, no matter what is in your past. And as you renew your mind with them, you will change the software. But if you aren't yet a Christian, then they don't apply. If you're not quite sure you have taken that step or you know you haven't, it's very easy for you to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You can do it simply by asking for the forgiveness of your sins and accepting the free gift of life he came to give. You can do that by speaking to him in your heart. If you want to, you can pray it with me right now. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place to take away all of my sin. Right now, I accept your free gift of life. I choose to make you Lord of my life so that I can become someone completely new. Thank you that I now belong to you and I am your child. My heritage is Welsh. And back in 1979, there was a fascinating study that began in Wales. 35 years later, the conclusion was that it delayed the development of heart disease by up to 12 years and of dementia by around six years. Really significant results. What was the wonder drug involved? Well, there was no drug. Participants just had to agree to do five simple things. Eat well, exercise regularly, drink less alcohol, keep their weight down, and never smoke. Now, here's the punchline. Two and a half thousand men volunteered to take part. 35 years later, do you know how many of them were still in, having kept all those five things? Just 25. One in a (laughs) hundred. The vast majority missed out on some truly spectacular health benefits. So we all know, don't we, the basic things we can do, or are supposed to do, to help our bodies stay healthy. But we also know that, left to ourselves, we naturally tend towards making bad choices. Why is that? Well, Ephesians 2, I think, helps us understand this. Let me read a little bit to you. As for you, says Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, 
when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Well, because we were born without that spiritual connection to God, we looked for ways to meet our legitimate needs for significant security and acceptance in other places. And that is why, naturally, we learn to follow the ways of this world, as Paul says. The world is the system we grew up in. And what the world does is it comes to us and says, oh, you want to be significant? No problem. Get a good job. You want to be secure? That's easy. Get a load of money in the bank. You want to be accepted? Well, just do what others expect you to do. Fit in. And if you think about it, every temptation you face is simply an attempt to get you to meet those legitimate needs for security, significance and acceptance but independently of God. The passage continues. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So instead of following the leading of God's Holy Spirit, which is how we were meant to function, how we were created to function, we learned to make our own way in the world, and we ended up following something else, what Paul calls the desires and thoughts of our flesh. What's that? Well, because we were born disconnected from God's spirit, we developed those ways of trying to cope with what life throws at us without God. So we simply did what kind of felt good to us or best to us at the time. Well, our brains contain dopamine receptors, some of which give us pleasurable feelings when they are fired by things such as sugar, alcohol, winning a bet, exercise, sex. And the pleasurable feelings they release make us feel better. And we therefore think, I'll do that again. And scientists now understand that what you might call the wiring in our brains, which is made up of neural pathways, isn't fixed, but is constantly changing throughout our lives. And the more we repeat a pleasurable action, the stronger the neural pathway associated with that action grows. And therefore, the greater our desire to do that thing again. And the same principle works with negative ways of thinking too. So as we grow up, negative experiences may cause us to develop patterns of thinking like, I'm useless, I'm dirty. And the more we think that way, the more entrenched in us that thought becomes. And all of us are walking around with beliefs and assumptions that we've grown up with, but which are actually not true. It may be a thought that is obvious, such as, well, I'm so ugly and unattractive, or at a more subconscious level, such as, I'm only worthy if I keep achieving. Now, if I believe that thought my self-esteem is going to be pretty low. So I may well find myself just trying really hard to please people and say the right thing so they like me. And so I probably will feel anxious and I might feel quite fearful. And there'll be some physical things that happen. My heart will race when I'm with people. I may have lots of bowel symptoms. But the root of those physical issues isn't a physical problem in your body. It's a faulty belief. Is that making sense? The way um, we like to explain this, it's like a Land Rover driving across a muddy field the same way 
every day, making deep ruts eventually that become baked hard in the sun. And if you're the driver of that thing, eventually you could just put it in the ruts, take your hands off the wheel, and it would just follow the ruts. And that's what happens with these ingrained patterns of thinking that we develop. They become, if you like, our default way of behaving. What happens if we just take our hands off the steering wheel? And and all of that stuff is essentially what the Bible calls the flesh. And what's interesting to me is if you knew where to look, you could take my brain, cut a bit away, put it under a microscope and identify the neural pathway responsible for my desire for chocolate. It's fascinating to me that what the Bible calls the flesh actually literally is flesh. Now, neuroscientists have discovered that if we make a choice not to perform a particular habit or action over a period of time, not to go with the default thought, the neural pathway associated with that desire gets weaker and weaker, and so we do it less and less. You change the software, and actually the hardware changes too. But the Bible got there first. The biblical principle is live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. And as we make a choice to follow the promptings of the Spirit rather than the promptings of the flesh the desires of the flesh do get weaker. In other words, we can choose to steer the Land Rover out of the ruts. Ways of thinking in the flesh that are particularly ingrained are called strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, Let me read them. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And listen to what those are, the next bit. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's like steering out of the ruts. We take captive every thought. We take the initiative. See, these things may have a stronghold on us, But God's clear promise is that we can demolish them. And I want to introduce you to a practical tool that we call stronghold busting, which will help you renew your mind. Now, before you do this, make sure that you have resolved spiritual issues by going through the steps to freedom in Christ. You've closed those doors in your life that might be open to the enemy through unresolved sin. Because once you've done that, a mental stronghold, honestly, is just a habit. It's a habitual way of thinking that can be broken. So, first of all, identify the faulty belief that you now realise is contrary to what God says in his word. And that's what the Bible calls taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Notice what you're thinking. Catch it in a net and see if it's actually true according to what God says. It means noticing what we're saying. Next, think about what effect that faulty belief or believing that lie is having in your life. And the reason you do that is to spur you on to tear the stronghold down as you realise how different your life could be if you were to stop believing that thing. Then go to the Word of God, which tells you how reality really is, and make a list of key Bible verses that tell you what is really true, that counteract the lie. 
Use a concordance or a Bible app or a wise friend to help you in that, perhaps. So your past experiences may have left you with a sense that you are helpless and that it would be hopeless to try to change. But when you turn to your Bible, what does it actually say is true of any child of God? It says, for example, that God will never leave you or forsake you. It says that you can do all things through him who gives you strength. So you just write your list of verses. Then you take them and you make yourself a declaration along the lines of, I refuse to believe the lie that, let's say, I am dirty. I speak out the truth that I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I am pure and holy. I can draw near to God in full assurance of faith, and so on and so on and so on. And then you read the declaration out loud every day for 40 days, all the time reminding yourself that if God has said it, it really is true. Proverbs 18.21 says, uh, the tongue has the power of life and death. And there is something about speaking out loud that seems to help our minds take hold of the truth more effectively than simply reading it silently. Now, we've got a couple of free apps you can get hold of. See our website for details that include a Stronghold Buster Builder. Uh, It helps you build it, put the verses in, and you tell it what time of day you want to be reminded to do your Stronghold Buster, and it will pop up on your phone. How about that? Now, all of this isn't as easy as it may sound, because by definition, the lie that you are trying to tear down feels really, really true to you. And as you go through the stronghold buster for 40 days, um, it can feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. Uh, it's like a concrete wall being demolished. This is what, how we like to picture it. Um, so you've got, a, you've got a wall, you've got a big demolition ball, and maybe it just bangs against this wall time and time again. It withstands 10 or 20 or 30 blows with no visible sign of being weakened. And that's how it can feel as you work through a stronghold buster day after day, as if nothing's changing. Then on the 37th swing, still no sign of damage to the wall. The 38th swing, sooner or later, a few small cracks appear. On the 39th swing, the cracks get bigger until finally the whole wall comes down. Even though only the final three swings appear to have had any visible effect, without the previous 37, the wall wouldn't have fallen. It didn't take that long before they'd done a few tests and gone, yes, this is Crohn's, and it's incurable. Basically, Crohn's is when your immune system is fighting itself, And the lining of your digestive system basically starts to become ulcerated and bleeding and sore and can't process food very well. It's just a very icky condition to have. I have definitely noticed a correlation between me being very negative and stressful and and uncaring toward myself and having poor health uh, in terms of Crohn's. And then being very kind and loving toward myself and saying good things and thinking good thoughts about myself and having better health. Um, I started to do the Freedom in Christ course when a friend invited me along. Um, there were just, there were so many lies. 
that were going around my head, but they all centered around not being good enough, not being enough as I was, that I had to be more than I was to be okay. And um, there was, I think the phrase about being the apple of God's eye just resonated. And it just started me down the path of really challenging every thought that came through my head and challenging every word that I spoke over myself, which by the end of the course I realized needed to be done through stronghold busters. I started getting in my car and going, you know, I'm the apple of God's eye. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, but I just noticed because I was in my car a few times a day, I was driving for 40 minutes to, to get to work. It's a lot of time to say those things over yourself. And before I knew it, I stopped thinking the thoughts and I wasn't saying the negative things over myself. Um, that was the turning point when I started to notice my health improving. Before that, I'd been in hospital every year. I'd been on steroids. I was on every experimental drug under the sun because they couldn't seem to get the Crohn's to settle down. And suddenly I realized I hadn't been in hospital for that year, nor the year after. And five years in a row, I'd not been hospitalized. And my medication was being reduced and my tests and exams were coming back better and better um, to the point where I had a colonoscopy last week and they can't even say what I've got is inflammation because it's so calmed down and settled that it's almost not even there anymore. I think when you realise that God is for you, that you can stop beating yourself up, that not everything is actually about you and actually sometimes it's just about fixing your eyes on Jesus. Um, when my pursuing of my health stopped being my number one priority and pursuing God and, and who he said he was and that, who that then made me, when that priority and focus shifted, my health improved and everything else fell into place after that. As stronghold busting has a lot of similarities with cognitive behavioural therapy which is something used widely in the secular world, which also involves exchanging one thought for another. There are two crucial differences. Firstly, it's so much easier to deal with faulty thinking if you have first dealt with spiritual issues, because the spiritual power that kind of holds us back is gone. And secondly, we as followers of Jesus have a much better truth to replace the faulty thinking with. We have the very word of the creator God himself. Now, I'll share a little more about stronghold busting and my own experiences in session five. But you're going to notice as we go through the course how important it is to our wholeness that we uncover false beliefs and we take steps to renew our minds. And our hope is that as you go through these sessions, you are going to become aware of false beliefs so that you can actually do some work on them. So at the back of your participants' guide, you'll find a couple of pages, which are mostly blank, but just entitled Truth and Lies. And if we're teaching something and you get hold of something, you think, oh, I've been believing something that isn't true, just go write it there so that you can come back and be reminded of it and actually look up what is actually true. So we come to our seven keys to take home from this session. Firstly... What we believe and how we think have a significant effect on our physical body. Number two, our minds have been programmed with faulty information, with the flesh. And that does not automatically change when we become Christians. 
Number three, every day we can choose either to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit or to listen to the faulty programming of the flesh. Number four, it's crucial that we learn to notice what we're thinking and we reject thoughts that don't line up with what God tells us is true, whether it feels true or not. Number five, it's not your actual circumstances that are the problem, but how you perceive them. Number six, it's not the traumatic event from the past itself that is the main ongoing issue. It's the lies it caused you to believe. And finally, number seven, ingrained faulty beliefs can be changed. It takes time and effort, but you really will be transformed if you renew your mind to the truth in God's word. We're looking forward to seeing you again next time when we'll be looking at why God gave us emotions and how those negative feelings we get can actually help us become fruitful disciples of Jesus. See you next time. Thank you.